My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show where we talk about thriving at work and in life, no matter if it's our second, third, or fourth act. This program is brought to you by Briefing Notes, a weekly digital newsletter for Gen Xers and late Boomers about working well and living well in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe at thebriefingnotes.com. Season 5 of Second Breaks is about our heroes, our role models, the people we look to for inspiration, for examples, for reminders of the kind of work we want to do or who we want to be, or the kind of impact that we want to make in the world. Now, there is a quote I ran into a while back, which I am probably going to butcher, but it said something along the lines of, we want to be able to look to others We want to be able to admire them and get inspired by their actions without comparing our journey with theirs. Now, I mentioned this quote because I received an email the other day from a listener who said that she deliberately picks role models who are, in her words, out of reach, bigger-than-life personalities like Oprah or other famous people, for example. Because otherwise, if they were people she knew, if they were her friends, She would end up comparing herself to them, and she would end up feeling smaller by comparison. Now, I'm very familiar with comparisonitis, and I suffer from it from time to time. Now, what I find helpful to keep away from the comparison game is to turn my feelings into curiosity and some kind of an opportunity for me to learn something. Like, I get curious about, like, What is it about this person or her achievements that I admire? Is there a habit uh, that they have that I can emulate? Is there a process they follow that I can adopt? What is it about them that I wish I were more like as well? And I don't shy away from calling them role models because when I do that, when I call them role models, they become a positive influence for me rather than a source of negative energy. There was another email I received last week about envy, and I agree with this person 100%. She said, envy isn't necessarily bad. Envy can reveal something that we want to accomplish ourselves. It's what we do with a feeling of envy that makes it either positive or negative. Hear, hear. Now, I thought these are particularly important points to consider, especially when our role model is someone we know a friend, a peer, uh, such as the case with my guest today. My guest in this episode is a dear friend of mine. There are many things about him that I admire, and certainly I am out there with pom-poms cheering on his career achievements. But his journey and mine are two different things, and I'm lucky that I get to peek behind the curtains to understand his process so that I can learn from them. And also, I get to share them with you. And in fact, that is actually my hope in sharing these conversations, as I said last week, in, um, as I, you know, when I started this series, is that I hope that you'll be inspired to have similar chats with your role models as well. Get to know them, especially the parts about them that you admire. One last note before I introduce my guest, this conversation happened earlier in the year. Uh, We recorded this before we were aware of the pandemic. 
As such, you're not going to hear any reference to it, and our chat was not colored by any of the unique challenges of 2020. Full disclosure, my guest today is a dear friend. I consider him my brother from across the pond, one of the most sensible humans I know, and I only wish we lived closer to each other. But that is not the reason he is on the show. Graham Bell is the CEO or Chief Executive Officer of World of Books Group, which is a bit of a segue here. For a book nerd like me who cares deeply about the environment, this is a company that I fully support. But that's neither here nor there. Back to Graham. He assumed the role of CEO in September 2019 after being the company's CFO and COO. Lots of letters there. Chief Financial Officer and Chief Operating Officer. Now, prior to World of Books, Graham was the managing director at Countrywide, and prior to that, he led a corporate finance team at PricewaterhouseCoopers, where we met and became good friends. Now, while that list of achievements sound really impressive, what I truly admire about Graham and why he is one of my role models is the way that he took risks in his career, which were always at least from the angle from which I'm viewing it, they were always level-headed, well-considered. Wherever he was, he didn't just sit back and simply waited for things to happen. He put himself on the path where opportunities and luck could find him. Graham is a husband and a father to two beautiful kids, one girl, one boy, who I understand is soon to surpass his dad's mad golf skills. I feel fortunate to be able to call one of my role models a dear friend as well. Graham Bell, welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Wow, Lou, what, what a build-up. How could I live up to that intro? No, it's great to be here and, 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 and thank you for talking to me. So I just ran through your career's history, at least so far. So I am curious as to whether your career goals have changed. Have they changed or not? And how have they changed? I think... In reality, when I started my career after university, I, I, I didn't really know what my goals were. I think if you'd have asked me then, I would have said, probably I'd like to make lots of money and I'd like to um, do something really exciting and, and, and sexy in the world of business. But actually, in reality, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't really clear. No one would employ me from university. That's, that's the thing. I think people saw through the fact that I didn't really know what I wanted to do or um, it wasn't quite authentic. So, so actually, the only business that would employ me um, was an, a big accountancy firm. And actually, my dad was an accountant and thoroughly miserable with it as well. So uh, probably the one thing I thought I didn't want to do was be an accountant. But actually, as I looked at it further, what I recognized was that being a chartered accountant is a sort of a great stepping stone to a wide variety of options. So, so whether or not I wanted to stay in finance or go into business or banking or management generally, that sort of chartered accountancy route was a really good one. But things have changed, right? So so you get to know you get to know what's important and you get to know yourself better. Um, and things do change. So what what would I say my career goals are now? Actually what I think about first and foremost when I think about my career is is it the right thing to do for my family and my loved ones? Mm. Um, because your 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 career choice massively massively impacts on them in so many ways it's, it's not just about can i provide for them financially but also can i be there for them when i am there for them am i going to be happy because 
you, what you don't want is you don't want to spend lots of time at home, but be thoroughly miserable or distracted um, or stressed. So, you know, I think when I when I think about what I want to do next, the first lens I put on it is, you know, is this right? Is this the right thing to do for my family? And that's not totally selfless. That's very, that's also very selfish because you're sort of thinking, am I going to be happy? And therefore, am I going to be a good person at home? Um, I think your upbringing shapes a lot of who you are, doesn't it? I came from a broken, a difficult childhood. I came from a broken home. My mum was divorced twice um, before I was 16. We worked out that we lived in about 16 different homes by the time we were 16, myself and my sister. And that, I was, I, that, I was always quite insecure. Mm. And I think, so I think um, giving my, a sense of security to my family, a sense of stability is quite important for me. And that's both sort of financially and, and in other things in their lives. So um, you say I take risks and I think instinctively I am a risk taker. But I think I have to I check that now with the balance of how it plays into to, 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 to other things in my personal life. As I said at the start, you know, the, probably the biggest driver was was getting to know myself more and getting to know what drives me. And I think I've come to realize I'm actually quite, uh, quite sort of driven by purpose and values. And, and actually, if a business or a situation is incongruent with those, then it makes me unhappy or makes me feel uncomfortable. And then I think the other thing I've realized is I get really excited about the prospect of growing something, building something. Um, and I've been in a couple of times in my career, I've been in roles where actually it's been more about shrinking something. And that 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 doesn't excite me as much. Um, and and actually growing something can be as difficult as shrinking something. You know, you, you still have to make tough decisions. You still have to move quickly. It's still very, very stressful. But it's just more, it just feels more fun because you're, you're kind of building and creating something rather than rather than downsizing. Honestly, when I was growing up, my parents didn't tell me, find your passion or follow your mm. passion. <laughs> but nowadays, this is such a common advice. And sort of hearing how you talked about how, you know, you started with this unclear uh, goal or vision that you have to now being a lot clearer about you what you wanted to achieve and I was wondering whether somewhere in that journey was it that you found your passion or you found something that you love in this space of finance is that it or or how do you actually how do you even view those advice find your passion do what you love yeah things I think it I do think it's really important you spend most of your conscious life I guess at work or thinking about work or preparing for work so you know, why wouldn't you do something that you feel passionate about? And, you know, I think I think if you if you don't, you risk not just making yourself unhappy, but those around you unhappy and you're you know, probably doing a disservice to, to both your employer and, and your colleagues. Um, I did I did enjoy my time in finance, um, but I think I always felt that I would probably be more suited to a more generalist and management role. You know, I. I I don't mind getting into the detail, but I actually enjoy sort of stepping back from the detail and being, you know, quite, quite big picture. I enjoy spending time with people. So I quite quickly, I think, realized that finance was a great training ground for that. Um, but actually, I, I felt that I wanted to step into a more broader role. So so when the first opportunity to move from being a finance director to being a managing director became available, I jumped at the chance because I felt, you know, I felt I was ready, but also I felt that actually I'd be much more passionate about it. I think that point about passion is probably the reason I'm in the current job that I'm in, because, you know, you talk about books and the environment. 
you just can't help but be passionate about it. You know, I'm passionate about everything we do. But I think also as a, as a CEO, the one thing that someone said to me once is, you know, you are always on show. Everything, everything you say, every reaction you give, every, you know, look is being watched and, it's, and it can be interpreted or, or misinterpreted. And so I think if you're a CEO and you can't be passionate about what you do, you're, you're, you shouldn't be CEO, frankly, because your job is to be massively enthusiastic about everything you do. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think that was, you know, one of the biggest realizations that came to me was I have to, I have to love the business I work for. Would you tell that to your kids to find their passion, to do what they love, to pursue what they love? Great question. I think I am getting better at that. My daughter is 15 and um, is super, super smart. And um, I ask her what she wants to, to do when she's older. And um, she'll say, I, I want to be a drama teacher. And there's, there's, there's a bit of me that wants to go, oh, come on, Emma, you know, you're, um, you could be, you could go to Harvard, you know, be a lawyer. And, but, but actually there's, there's, there's the other bit of me, perhaps the more grown up supportive side of me that says, I mean, you just, you know, you need to do what you feel you, what you, what makes you happy. So and what, what you feel, you know, excited about. So, yeah, I think I'm getting better, but I, I probably need to, I probably need to be a, a bit more um, pragmatic with them. One of the things that I know about Graham is that he tends to follow a disciplined and methodical approach to making decisions. Now, in the MBTI framework, we are both J's, which means that we are both keen to have things decided and so that we can move forward to making plans of the things that must be done. Now, I read somewhere some time ago that the difference between P's and J's in the MBTI framework is a major source of disagreement in the workplace. Suffice it to say, Graham and I got along very well when we worked together. Now, I wanted to explore this further and understand his approach for when things aren't going his way or the way that he expected or the way that he wanted things to be. Probably there's been four times where I've really... I mean, there's been lots of times where things haven't been going out well, but I, th I can remember four times where I probably came to a fork in the road, you know, and, and actually, you know, something will be going on for a, for a while. And the way I've, I approached it, I think a couple of times I really tried to create a change within that organization by talking to people, by trying to influence people, by sort of thinking about what it was I was, you know, what I felt bad about and, and what it was I was trying to achieve out of the situation and, you know, managed to create a change such that both myself and the business could move forward. But candidly, I think there's been another couple of times um, where it's brought me to the realization of this, this job is no longer for me. This business is no longer for me and I need to do something different. And I think the, um, the times when I've left, I think surprised people because, you know, there weren't people wouldn't have known that I was necessarily that that I was you know about to resign or or move on but actually I think you know I've, I've perhaps started to feel a disconnection between me and where the business is going or the people I work with and rather than prolong that or or, or get stuck in a situation that can't be resolved you know actually I've probably thought thought things through and thought actually now's the time now is the time for me to move on and go and do something different. Someone was asking me the other day about how I've sort of planned my career to get to, to be to be a CEO. And actually, um, 
I said, well, there's probably less planning in it than you think. Um, but the one thing I always tried to do was I always tried to uh, to choose the decision that actually kept my options open and kept my relevance quite broad. Every time I've yeah. every time I think I felt that I'm going too deep into something quite specialist, actually, that's not necessarily where I've where I've wanted to be, and I've always sort of tried to resist that and actually continue to seek new challenges, new opportunities. So I think the four big times in my career where I've really needed to, to to make a change. One of the things I'm proud of is I've never shied away from that, and and it and it hasn't really lasted for a prolonged period of time because I've either made the change within the existing organisation or moved on to do something different. That's one of the things that, like I said in the intro, one of the things that I admire about you is that I I don't I don't recall having you know hearing you talk at length or for a prolonged period of time about. Uh, something that you're unhappy with, almost always I would hear you say something and then you would take action on it. Yeah. You know you know what I mean? There are, there are lots of uh, situations where people would be unhappy about something for a prolonged period of time, right? And, and not being able to move either direction. But I don't remember that with you. And that's what I meant when I said, like, I don't, you know, you don't sit and wait. You just, you know, you take action. You put yourself in positions where there are opportunities and luck. Um, to find you yeah um and I always but I, I always think about can I can I make this better where, where I am but but sometimes the answer is no and and and, and you know it's it's sort of easy thing to say but life life's too short and you spend too much time at work to, to be doing something that you, you're not happy about or you don't you don't feel can get any better um, when you when you're having to go through those kinds of deliberations do you tend to like talk to people do you seek advice do you tend to do that or do you just tend to like think about it pros and cons by yourself I, I do, yeah I know I do a bit of both um so I'll talk to um people who know me but especially people who know me from from a professional perspective people who who've worked with me and so know about me and 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 what I'm good at what I'm not good at um I talk to ex-colleagues, professional friends, co- you know, coaches, mentors. Um, I can remember once when I was coming up to a big career decision, you know, chatting to you on a Florida beach once, you know, taking in the scenery. And I think that input is really important. The, the other thing I do, the bit that I do by myself is is very sort of, this is very financial and spoken like an accountant, but I'll write down the options that I've got. And all mm-hmm. the things, all the factors that I need to assess them against. And then I'll sort of weight the factors. So what's the most important thing for me to be taking into account? Well, it might be sort of my family or it might be, you know, you know, career prospects or, or sector prospects or, you know, things like that. And then I'll sort of rank everything, all, all of my options down. And, and what you usually find when you do a little exercise like that is actually quite often the answer staring at you in the face, but you haven't put that process around it. So... Do you actually write it down or you just think no, about it? No, I can it? write it down on a piece of paper. Okay. I can remember when I left PricewaterhouseCoopers, literally I had, I had, I had four, four options and, and I wrote each one of them down, including staying where I was. Um, and then I thought, what's important to me in, in my life um, and my career? And I wrote those things down as well. And I, I sort of ranked them to say, which is the most important? And then I scored each option. And And, you know, it's amazing how when you do that, something comes out and it might have a much higher score or a much lower score and you look at that and you can look just look at it and go yeah feels that 
I went through like quite a systematic process there, but it feels right. I'll always talk to my to my wife, but actually, funnily enough, not really about the the details of, of the job. I think we've got to be realistic here. You know, my wife and I have completely different careers and and actually quite often we're the worst person to talk to about each other's, <laughs> even though she's my best friend and we're, you know, we spend so much time together. We're not great at giving each other career advice because I think, number one, the, the person giving the advice just gets into tell mode. And then the and then the one receiving the advice just doesn't listen to anything the other one says anyway, which is just like a normal husband and wife relationship. But what I do do is is just make sure that, you know, we talk through the decision I'm about to make and she's, you know, 100 percent on board with it um, and the reasons why. And that's and she's always been incredibly supportive. So I think, yeah, it's a mixture of talking a lot to people and actually just spending some time alone, really thinking through stuff in in detail. Yeah. But it's it's different when you write it down, isn't it? As opposed to just mulling it over in the head. Because sometimes I can get into circles if I'm just thinking about something over and over. Oh yeah, I totally. If um, that's that's I'm exactly the same. I've get this, you know, you get this destructive thought pattern about, and quite often dream of what's the worst thing that's going to happen. You know, so you sort of take yourself on this journey to say, oh well, and then clearly you know, this is going to go wrong and then that's going to happen and then I won't get on with so and, and and you just end up in a really bad place. Whereas actually, if you just put some things down on paper and be quite objective about it, that's, that's much more reliable. In her book, The Writing Life, Annie Dillard wrote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do this hour and that one is what we are doing. Dillard was talking about schedules and the habits that are formed by following such schedules. I asked Graham what habits have helped him in his career. Um, I mean, you'll know this, Luke, because we worked together for a while. But, you know, I, I, I genuinely always give 100 percent, you know, and I think I say to I say to my son as he's about to go out on the sports field because he's because he's kind of a bit emotional like me and he's very competitive. And, I, and to get to the point where sometimes he doesn't even enjoy the sport that he's playing because, you know, he's, it's all about winning. And I sometimes say to him, look, actually, Sam, it, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. What matters is whether you try your hardest, you know, and whether you enjoy it. Um, so actually, you know, go go on the field with that with that in mind. Um, and that's easy for me to say and not so easy to do. But I've always I have always, you know, given 100 percent. And I think people realize that. Um, and I think that has that has been one of the things that's that's taken me to where I am. But actually, what's most important right now, I think, is is the way that I can, you know, relate to people and, and communicate with them and enjoy enjoy that side of things. If I think about stuff that goes wrong in business and some stuff that goes right, almost always the biggest underlying theme is communication. And I think this is the case in your in your personal life as well, when you think back to those times where you know, you've had a, you've had an argument or, 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 or stuff's gone particularly well, you know, if we probably don't spend enough time really thinking about communicating with people and how we communicate. Um, and I think that that's probably the, in my role right now, the, the biggest the, and the most important thing I can do is just communicate in the right, right way to people. Um, so I think that's, that's one of my big learnings along the way. That what you just said, just I flash back to the time when we were together and you were always voted to be the person who is going to talk to, <laughs> to the power 
letters that be to represent us because you had best communication skills and somehow are able to cross the divide. <laughs> yeah. And 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 actually it it's sometimes it's about putting yourself in quite a difficult situation but but knowing that you, it's the right thing to do. You know, we yes. you know we we'll be having like I can remember those those days very well, you know, and and meetings at work, you know, sometimes the best the best meetings you have at work are the ones that f- at the time feel the most difficult because you're embracing a really difficult challenge. Having worked with Graham, I can attest to the fact that he always gives his 100%. Sometimes that means working a lot of hours, more than just your 9 to 5, if there is even a 9 to 5 anymore these days. But I also know about Graham that he feels strongly about balancing his often competing priorities. What he wants or needs to do as a CEO of a growing company versus what he wants or needs to do to meet his definition of a good husband and a good father. What I guess I try and do is um yeah yes do, you know do I go home do I have to be on emails do I have to take the odd call do I spend you know a few hours at weekends working yeah but what I try and do with that is actually I try and set some boundaries so you go home make sure you know be be absolutely present for an hour or so leave, forget emails forget telephone calls make sure everyone's okay had a good day help out if I can but then once the kids have gone to bed you know yeah i mean realistically yeah do an hour's work but then you know always always the phone goes off the emails go off at you know 10 o'clock or so 9:30 10 o'clock and that's it you know it's an hour myself my wife a book it, it, it's just it's just unrealistic to think that or or either that or you have to be superhuman to be able yeah. to 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 come into work and do a a job strictly between the hours of 9 and 5 and not and not do anything either side of that um uh at least i i can't i can't do that it, it you know but so so it's about setting those boundaries and and actually sticking to them and you know what it doesn't matter what's going on at work i'm turning the phone off at 9:30 i'm spending an hour you know doing other stuff So obviously the way that you measure your success today is very different from when you first graduated from university you were probably at that point it was more about how much am I earning you yeah. know how much money in the bank do I have so how do you today measure success in you know in your life in your career in in my career it's you know um do I feel that I'm moving the business forward do I feel that I'm moving my team forward and the people who work for us are we gaining share are we becoming a better business am i enjoying work um am i a good person to work with i think i think at home it's you know in in my life it's about actually am i getting the balance right so let's be honest you know you know i'll regularly work 50 60 70 hour a week sometimes i just i have to but actually am i still spending enough time quality time with with the family am i being a good dad a good husband but also i think you know again quite selfishly have a Um, have I got enough time to you know enjoy myself as well so you know sometimes you need a bit of time for yourself you know you might get you might go yes. to the gym you might ride your bike into work and it's nice to spend time with your friends as well and, and be social um so so I think I I balance against all those things and I'm probably I'm probably my harshest critic as well because you know I can always do things better but at some point you just have to say well yeah you know it's pretty good and and I'm I'm probably getting the balance about right 
Graham, what trail do you want to leave? I probably should think about this more. I, the, but rightly or wrongly, I, I, I don't. I, I, I'm too busy thinking about the here and now and, and you know, where the business is going, where I'm going in, in, in the future. And actually to, to think about what I want to be known for. And that's probably why I'm not very good on social media, right? Because I'm not very good at my own brand. I do meet people who are brilliant at managing their own brands and, and footprint. And actually, I'd just rather get on and be known for someone who, you know, did the right things, was, was a good, you know, good, honest guy to work with, um, and hopefully helped to build something quite successful. That, that's the trail I'd like to leave, Lou. Lots of things have happened since I sat down with Graham in February 2020. I caught up with him recently about what he's looking forward to the most in 2021. From a personal perspective, I think taking an overseas family holiday in the sun or being able to go to a Premier League soccer match in a stadium again. And from a work perspective, spending more time planning for the long term rather than dealing with all of the short term issues that COVID throws up for us every single day that take up so much time and effort from the team who've done just an incredible job. Um, I think another thing from a work perspective is I'd like to see businesses and government finally taking sustainability seriously and walking the walk rather than just talking the talk. Graham doesn't spend much time on social media, but you can find him on LinkedIn. And you can find out more about his company at www.worldofbooks.com. For all the links and the highlights of this episode, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate it if you'd tell your friends about it. It helps tremendously when you spread the word about the show, and I would be so grateful. Second Breaks is brought to you by Briefing Notes, a weekly digital newsletter for Gen Xers, Generation Jones, late boomers, midlifers who are interested in thriving at work and in life. Visit thebriefingnotes.com to subscribe for free and get the next edition in your inbox. Okie dokie, I'll be back next week with Bonnie Gillespie, author of one of my favorite career books, Self-Management for Actors. And no, I've got no acting aspirations whatsoever. I'll explain next week why I love this book and why Bonnie is one of my role models. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your day, my friend. Cool beans. Which camera are you looking at? How many cameras do you have? I'm looking straight at your face, but I could look somewhere else. I can move you. I can move you. So you, where do you want? No, no, no. To your, can you look to your right? Right, yeah. No, no, to your left, I guess. There? Yeah, I, yeah. Why oh, is, that, there a... is that the camera there? There's the camera there. Wow. Yeah, that's it. That's the camera. Okay, <laughs> okay so I'm going to put you over there then, so I can talk to you. Like, Hang on. Who are Hang you on. talking to over there? <laughs> Hang on. Right, so you're there, right? Yes, okay. I'm there. Exactly. I've, right. I've moved. I've moved your face to there then now, so I can talk to you. Right. So am I? Am I looking? So hang on. So yeah, stay there. Right. So am I? Am I looking kind of at you now? Right, right okay, now, good. when you said, am I looking at you right now? Yes, you are. Yeah. Okay, good. That, right, not, not right now. Cent- I'm not quite in the center now, am I? No, I'm looking at me now. Well, I need to be here. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs>